this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I like this new microphone. Clips to both my ears, <laughs> and it allows me to walk around and just uh, be free to express myself. I have another, another announcement. Uh, Pam and I are flying to Malta on Saturday, and we should be away for two months. So, I shan't be here for eight weeks, but I shall be enjoying the sunshine <laughs> and some good fellowship out there as well. My, my eldest sister lives in Malta and has done for about 17 or 18 years. So once a year in recent years, Pam and I have gone out to spend some time with her and enjoy ourselves and relax Right, I, I'm, I'm not here to talk about Malta. <laughs> Shall we pray? Father, I want to thank you for your word because it is so wonderful. Father, I want to thank you for your spirit because he reveals your word. And all the wonders and all the treasures that are in your word. And Father, I just ask that in every heart this morning, your word shall burn by the power of your spirit. And everyone shall be thrilled and absolutely enthralled with how wonderful you are. Father, thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been so enthralled with the wonderful story of Ruth. Well, it's not story, it's, it's real history. You know, we tend to think of stories as things that are just made up. This is not just made up, this is history. These are real people that lived during the time of the judges in Israel. And I have been so thrilled with it this week as I've meditated on it and the whole subject of redemption. Wednesday night, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep the whole night. I got a few hours sleep once... It started to get light, and then I catnapped during the day to try and catch up. But I don't want anyone to lose sleep, <laughs> especially if you have to go to work the following day. But I, I do want us all to be so thrilled with the whole theme of redemption. So, 
let's have a, a recap. I know all the other speakers have done a recap. So this is recap number three or four. Number three. Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilon, they live in Bethlehem and they belong to the tribe of... They're, they're, they're Ephraphites, if I can get that right. Ephraim. They belong to the tribe of Ephraim. And along came a famine. It could be that the famine started because of the sin of the nation of Israel. Because we know in the time of the judges that spiritually they were all over the place, up and down, up and down, up and down. God sent them deliverers and then when the deliverer, the judge died, they fell back into their old ways of idolatry and sin. And God sent trouble. So it may have been that this famine was because of the sin of the nation. And Elimelech and Naomi decided that it was better to go and live in Moab. So they sold their inheritance. They sold their parcel of land. And with money in their pocket, they went off to live in Moab. A bit like the prodigal son, really, who said, give me my inheritance now because I want to go off into a far-off country. But it didn't work out very well for them because after a fairly short time, Elimelech was dead. The two sons married Moabite women, which was not really ever God's intention for his people, that they should marry those who worshipped other gods. And the two sons died. And Ruth said, uh, sorry, Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem, which means house of bread, return to where God was blessing his people again. And so she encouraged her two daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, but Ruth would not stay. God was working in her heart the grace of God was leading her to the God of Israel, the true and the living God, the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things and the provider. And so, after a bit of an argument and tussle, Naomi trying to get Ruth to return she would not. 
And so they came back to Bethlehem. And this is what Naomi said. In verse 20 of chapter 1. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Because God is loving, it doesn't mean to say that he isn't going to chastise us at times when we've gone wrong. That is showing his love. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty again. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. They came back utterly poverty stricken. With nothing but the clothes that they wore. No inheritance. No means of having a living. Entirely Dependent. Then in chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not a relative God had instituted a law in Israel. If you read the early books of Moses, very often you will read, and the Lord said to Moses, this is the law. This is how you are to live and teach the children of Israel my laws and my statutes. Now there were moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws. But they were all summed up in what we call the Ten Commandments, to love God and love one another. And there was a law regarding those who fell into poverty for whatever reason. And sometimes that poverty would also lead them then into slavery because they were so desperately poor and had nothing that they went to serve in the family of somebody who was far richer. But God instituted a law of redemption which means that even the most poverty-stricken person ultimately in what is called the year of Jubilee, could return to their inheritance, could again have a possession and a means of living. And one of the other laws regarding redemption was that if there was a close relative who could buy back the inheritance of the one who had fallen into poverty, then they could redeem 
the land again, redeem the possession for the one who was in poverty. And this is what Naomi is saying to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And if you want to read about those laws, they're in Leviticus chapter 25. It's a good thing to study. You see, we might think all those laws are boring. (laughs) I remember the first time I decided to read through the Bible from the first to the last verse. I got stuck in Leviticus. But then, some while later, I persisted. And God has given his laws and there is one who has fulfilled all his laws. All the moral laws, all the civil laws and all the ceremonial laws. And he is our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So Naomi says to Ruth, I want to seek security for you that it may be well with you. And Boaz is a close relative. And she told Ruth what to do because there was a custom, if you wanted to be redeemed by a close relative and you were a woman in poverty, that close relative had a responsibility according to the law if he was able and willing to redeem you, to give you security. And the way that that was done was actually for that richer person, that man, to marry the poor woman. And the way the tradition worked was what we heard last week, where Ruth went and laid down at Boaz's feet, uncovering his feet and ask him if he will be the Redeemer. And in chapter 3 at verse 8 it says, Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, that is Boaz, and turned himself and there was a woman lying at his feet and he said, Who are you? So she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing. Give me security, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. Then you did not go after the young men, whether poor or rich. And so we come to the climax of the book of Ruth, where Boaz has said he will redeem Ruth and redeem the possession of her dead husband. And Naomi assures her in the last verse of chapter 3, she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest, that is, Boaz will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. And Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Now, the tradition in Israel at the time was any business that was conducted, legal business, you did it at the gate of the city. 
So Boaz sat down at the gate of Bethlehem and he called witnesses to witness what was going to happen. But he had already told Ruth that there was a closer relative who had the first option to redeem the land and to redeem her out of poverty. And so when the close relative came by, he called the close relative and said, Will you redeem the possession, Marlon's possession? And the close relative said, Yes, of course I will. And then Boaz said, Well, you'll have to marry Ruth. And then he said, No, 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 no. No, I don't want to marry Ruth. For whatever reason, it's not explained. He said it would ruin my own inheritance. Another strange tradition, custom in Israel, was that when a legal uh, thing was being transacted, between the two men that it was being transacted between, the one who was not willing to redeem would take off his sandal and give it to the one who was going to redeem. So this closer relative took off his sandal, gave it to Boaz, and Boaz said to all the witnesses that were sitting down with them, you are witness this day that I have bought the land that Naomi sold. And I have acquired Ruth as my wife. And after they were married, Ruth had a son. And in that family line, the great King David, to whom God made such wonderful covenant promises regarding a kingdom that was to come that would never end. So Boaz gave Ruth security. I want to emphasize the fact this morning that every one of us need a redeemer because of our poverty. The book of Ruth, in broad brushstrokes, is the story, or the history, I should say, of the history of mankind. Because in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created a wonderful world in six 24-hour days. Because when God, with his own finger, wrote the commandments, the Ten Commandments that encapsulate the whole law, he wrote with his own finger that in six days he created the heavens and the earth 
and everything that is in it. And so he said, you will work for six days. He didn't say 6,000 years and then rest on the 7,000 years or 6 billion years or 6 million years. He said, you work for six days because I worked for six days and I rested on the seventh. And so God created a wonderful world and put Adam and Eve in that world. He planted a wonderful garden for them to look after. They had fullness, absolute fullness. You know, Naomi said, I went out full when I left the house of bread, when I left the land that God had given us. I went out full. And when God created this world, there was abundant fullness. There was everything that Adam and Eve could ever want. But God had said to Adam, if you disobey me with regard to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And we know the story, sorry not story, history, it's real history. Don't ever doubt it. If you mess with Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you mess with the whole foundation of the gospel. And there are so many Christians doing that these days. We should never do it. Adam and Eve fell into sin. Eve because she was deceived. Adam because he disobeyed. And death came. From absolute fullness and completeness, total riches, they fell into utter poverty. What did they lose? Well, in the last verse of Luke chapter 3, because in Luke chapter 3 you'll find a whole list of names, the genealogy going from Christ back to Adam. And it says, Adam, the son of God. That was Adam's status. He was the son of God. Because he was a direct creation of God. Adam was not born. Adam was created fully mature. A son of God. And through disobedience, he fell from that position. He not only lost that status but he also lost his inheritance. God intended that he would inherit the perfect world. 
but he lost it. And the reason why we should never mess with Adam and Eve and what God records as real history in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is because Jesus is called the last Adam. And all the relevance of what Jesus did as our Saviour and as our Redeemer rests on the fact that there was a real Adam and a real Eve who plunged every one of us as their descendants into poverty and into sin. David said in the Psalms, I've born in sin and shapen in iniquity. He was born with a bias towards sin, David was saying. And so it is for every one of us. And apart from the power of the Spirit of God working in us, we still have that bias towards sin. Naomi and Ruth needed a Redeemer. And I want us to see this morning how much we needed a Redeemer. Somebody who could buy back for us what was lost through the disobedience of Adam. Because we weren't just a little bit poor. We were totally poor. Even to the point of death. Being dead in trespasses and in sins. Dead and cut off from God. What did Adam lose? He lost his status. He lost his fellowship with God. He lost the dominion over the earth that God had given him. Adam didn't need to have a rifle with him to protect him from lions and tigers and dinosaurs and any other creature. No, he didn't. Because God had given him dominion. But when people go on safari these days, they go in trucks and there are armed people with them just in case because we lost our dominion. We lost our inheritance. But there is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer for us. And Paul talks about the Redeemer in Galatians Chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. To have a redeemer 
this person needed to be a close relative. And apart from Jesus, who was God the Son throughout all eternity, apart from him being born of a woman, we wouldn't have a Redeemer. That's the reason why God had to become clothed in human flesh to be a close relative of ours, to be able to redeem us because it was God's law. God had already given the laws of redemption and he was not going to break his own laws. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came as a a little baby and grew up just like we all do. Under the law, under the law of God. to redeem those who were under the law. Whether we like it or not, we're under the law. People may say, well, I have no regard for God's laws. I do what I want to do. That doesn't mean to say that they're not under God's law. Every one of us are. to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent forth his son to be the redeemer. He fulfilled all the conditions of a redeemer. Not only is our close relative, but he is rich enough Jesus is rich enough to redeem us. Philippians chapter 2. It says that for Jesus, it wasn't considered robbery or something to be grasped to be equal with God. That's how rich he was. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, Paul says that though he was rich, Yet he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich, that is, that we might be redeemed. So Jesus is our close relative. He is rich enough to redeem us. And what is more, he is not like the closest relative to Ruth and Naomi, who wasn't willing to redeem. Imagine if Jesus, the only one who could redeem us, was not willing. What if he said, it will ruin my inheritance? In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he is heir of all things. And he always was heir of all things. What if Jesus had said, I don't want to leave heaven. 
I don't want to empty myself. I don't want to become one of them, a close relative, in order to redeem. We would have no hope. But Jesus was willing, totally willing. He humbled himself. God the Father didn't have to force Jesus to come and be our Redeemer. But he willingly humbled himself and came to serve and to give his life a ransom and pay the price for our redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about that redemption. He says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. But you are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. So he is a close relative, our Redeemer. He is rich enough. And he was willing. Don't you love him? Don't you love him for that? Isn't your heart going out to him this morning in love and worship and adoration because of his willingness to redeem us who are in poverty? And You know, the story of Ruth is not exactly the same as our story because Ruth and Naomi were not enemies of Boaz. But when Christ came to redeem us, we were his enemies. We were alienated from him by wicked works. We were alienated from him by traditions received from our forefathers. And those traditions are the multitude of religions, the multitude of philosophies, the multitude of idolatries. All these things alienated us from the one who seeks and who sought to redeem us. To redeem those who are under the law that we we might receive the adoption as sons. Adam lost the status of sonship that he was created in. And through Adam, we all lost it. But in Jesus, our Redeemer, we regain it. And wherever you read about redemption in Scripture, it's always associated with inheritance. Boaz needed to redeem the inheritance and the status Let's just go back to Ruth. Because 
there's just some wonderful verses in chapter 4 that I haven't read. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilon's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife. Why? To perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. He redeemed their status, Boaz did. The status of the dead he redeemed. And Jesus redeems our status as sons of God. Isn't that wonderful? We had no status. We were not a people until we were redeemed into the kingdom of God. And now we are sons. And not only sons, as Paul says in Galatians, but sons are heirs. You see, wherever you read about redemption, you also read about an inheritance. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, our status restored, therefore you are no longer a slave, and if a son, then an heir of God. An heir of God. Think about that. An heir of God. In Christ. So we have a redeemed status. We're sons. And we have a redeemed possession. We, inherit, we are inheritors of God. We have a kingdom. That is our inheritance. Jesus said to the disciples, Fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's our inheritance. Isn't that wonderful? And it's not just for the future, it's also for now. Because God has given us his spirit who is a down payment of the kingdom that is to come. And God wants to enrich us this morning. God wants to enrich us with the riches of his kingdom. And in whatever way you may feel in poverty this morning, I want to assure you that God wants to enrich you. Through the Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. Jesus. God's own Son. Does the book of Revelation puzzle you? 
I must admit, years and years ago, it used to puzzle me no end. I used to think, what's all this about? Well, in chapter 4, basically, John is caught up into heaven in the Spirit, and he sees the throne of God, and God sitting upon the throne, and God being worshipped as creator. Now, if we ever doubt, through the prevailing philosophy of our age, that God is the creator, then we are detracting from his glory. Because all of heaven gives glory to God as the creator. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. This scroll is the scroll of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. John would have recognized that. It was a, 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 a law and a tradition in Israel that inheritances were written on a scroll on both sides of the scroll. John saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Who's worthy to redeem for mankind the inheritance of the kingdom of God? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look on it. Wow. This looks like there's no redeemer. And John says, I wept much. That's something to weep about. If there's no redeemer for us. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look on it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, who sat on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, when I was studying this, I was thinking, wouldn't it be good if I could just sing this, you know? But I won't. <laughs> I haven't got a tune to it. <laughs> You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. That's the price of our redemption, the very lifeblood of Jesus. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. 
He's redeemed our status. And we shall reign on the earth. He's redeemed our possession. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now throughout eternity, we're not going to be up in what we think of as heaven. We're going to be on the earth. But the earth is going to be renewed. And then when we go to Revelation chapter 21. Actually, if, if Revelation is a puzzle to you, basically what it is, is Jesus releasing to his people since he ascended back into heaven and loosed those seals, he is releasing to his people the kingdom. And when he returns a second time, he is coming to take possession of his kingdom upon a new earth. And you can read about that three times. Jesus returning. You can read about it three times in the book of Revelation. Because there are seven seals, there are seven trumpets, and there are seven bowls of the wrath of God. And after the, seventh, after the sixth seal is open, you see... Scriptures referring to what Jesus referred to in Matthew 24 about his coming. And at the end of chapter 11, you read about the judgment and uh, when God is going to judge the wicked and judge his people and reward them. And that's going to happen when he returns. And in chapter 19, we read again of his second coming. But then in chapter 21... We see, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Did you notice, around the throne, there are living creatures full of eyes? And there is no creature representing any creature that lives in the sea. You have a lion you have a calf, you have a man, and you have an eagle. But no creature representing what lives in the sea because they are representing the new creation. And in the new creation, there's no sea. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. By the way, the new heaven and the new earth are not going to take billions of years to come about. They're just going to come about at the word of God. Then I, Jordan, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. The new Jerusalem are the redeemed is a wonderful, wonderful picture of the redeemed. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, with his redeemed, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be there with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give at the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit. Hallelujah. He who overcomes, and the overcomers are all the redeemed. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We have a redeemer. Jesus, God's own son. And we shall, as God's sons and his people, inherit his kingdom. Now, it's not all for the future. It's also for now. And I just feel that God wants to say to us this morning, he wants to enrich us. Because Jesus, our Redeemer, has paid the full price for complete redemption from all that Adam lost. And he wants to enrich us this morning. We're going to sing, There is a Redeemer, if the band could come back and play for us. We're going to sing Keith Green's lovely song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. And if you feel the need this morning for enrichment, or maybe you've never ever come into the kingdom of God and you feel the need for the security that that brings and the need for the blood of Jesus to loose you and to separate you from your sin that has so impoverished your life. The Redeemer is here this morning to redeem you. And the Redeemer is here to enrich you. So if you don't know the security, the eternal security of the kingdom of God this morning, you can know that. The Redeemer is here. And if you need enriching, the Redeemer is here to enrich you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.